Hello, I'm Sean Zahidi, Vice President of Rad Marketing, and this is the fourth episode of the Future Frontiers in Residential Real Estate Podcast. Today, we're here for a special episode with Ian Underwood, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity, Greater Toronto Area, and Joshua Bernard, Vice President of Real Estate Development. Together, they help working families build strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable homeownership, building a better GTA for everyone. Okay, hello, Ian and Josh. Thanks for accepting my invitation to come into our fourth podcast, uh, Future Frontiers of Real Estate in Ontario. As part of Rad Marketing, we're very privileged to work with a lot of developers across GTA. And one of the things that we notice, uh, especially in the past few years, is unaffordability is a big issue in the city. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we started uh, uh, sourcing and looking for a um, um, collaboration with an organization that helped uh, that mandate and that uh, mission, which is tackling on affordability and and helping home ownership. So, and we're lucky that we've been involved with Habitat for Humanity GTA for the past year or so, and that's why we're having this conversation because I believe this is time of year, especially as we get closer to the end of fiscal year, and a lot of organizations looking for some partnerships, some donations to organizations that really mean something to them, and and that's why we think that this is a really important questions and, and basic conversation to have. And uh, again, thanks for coming to our podcast. Uh, but first off, tell us more about yourself and your journey over the years uh, and how you ended up being with uh, Habitat for Humanity GTA. Yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for having us and thanks for asking. So I've been the CEO at Habitat for Humanity uh, Greater Toronto Area now for almost 10 years. We, we actually formed through the amalgamation of some other habitats over the course of this decade. And, uh, and my life prior to that, I actually started in the private sector and then spent a big chunk of my career in publicly funded healthcare, uh, but really had a yearning to get back to uh, using business thinking to do good. And that's what I love about the Habitat model. It is a, it's a social enterprise that says, how can we use business thinking, particularly in the development sector, to, to do good? Okay, perfect. Thank you again for coming. Josh, back to you. So tell us more about yourself. Yeah, so I've, I've been at Habitat for about, uh, coming up on four years, uh, and I'm in the VP of Real Estate Development. So I have the, the job of, of finding uh, land for our affordable housing, which is becoming more and more difficult in, in, the, in the GTA. Um, prior to Habitat, uh, I was actually at West for a number of years uh, uh, working for a nonprofit out there doing affordable housing development. Um, and then previous to that, I was actually working uh, in the private sector for in the constru- doing construction. So I have a kind of background in construction and then I really just wanted to see kind of more good um, and the buildings that I was building actually kind of have more uh, of an impact on the community. Uh, and that's how it kind of fell into the nonprofit sector and fell in love with Habitat. Awesome. Thank, uh, thank you again for coming to our podcast. I know a lot of our audience have heard of Habitat, uh, but can you dive in deeper to that and tell us more about Habitat, their, uh, you know, its mission and everything? So maybe. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting because we often say Habitat is well known. Uh, but not known well. So, you know, for any of the listeners, I think if you close your eyes and you think of a habitat, what you're probably going to see is a bunch of volunteers swinging hammers and maybe even with Jimmy Carter. Um, and what what we want, what we'd like people to think about when they close their eyes and think of habitat is this uh, nimble, business-minded charity that is constantly adapting and coming up with new approaches to give a hand up to working families who need an alternative pathway to become a homeowner. 
And so, you know, that's really what habitat is. Now, what hasn't, and we've changed a lot over the years. So that home now that the family owns, you know, might be a stacked town home that volunteers like Rad Marketing have helped build, or it might be a, 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 a condo in a high rise that's come through our, our developer partnerships, which Josh can talk about, uh, might be a mid rise that we've, you know, built through, uh, through uh, contractors. And, but what has not changed over the years about what habitat is, is is the notion of this giving a hand up to you know working families in our community to help them have a home that works for them and that has a mortgage that they can afford and to you know where you started the podcast you know the the intensity of need now in our communities is greater than ever before so it also means that for us now in addition to just delivering homes for families we're also trying to just raise our voice in general over affordable housing but affordability writ large absolutely yes uh, i couldn't agree more with you like as I said earlier, so we're lucky to represent a lot of developers across GTA and uh, uh, pretty much uh, uh, one of the most important conversations revolves pricing and cost, you know, associated with the, these future projects that we're involved. Uh, and I don't see any slowdown uh, on that end of the business. So meaning that uh, with all like uh, new immigrants, newcomers coming to the uh, to this country, like we're talking 500,000 per year, 40% of those people are going to settle in Greater Toronto and Hamilton area. That's going to put a huge upward pressure on our market. And I don't see, unfortunately, any slowdown in our uh, price depreciation and costs associated with these uh, things. Um, going to Josh, um, can you talk more about Habitat Homes and given the prices of these lands and in terms of land acquisition and the type of you know uh, product and and homes that you bring uh, uh, to the community. Can you talk, can you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> we kind of have four different uh, scenarios that, that we, we develop across the GTA. Um, as Ian mentioned, uh, we're no longer doing the single family home. Um, so a lot of our stuff is, or all of our stuff is a, a condo of some sort. Um, so whether it be um, a piece of land that we, we go out and find and redevelop and build on ourselves with volunteers, um, that's kind of one scenario. Um, again, it's usually stacked townhouses, back-to-back uh, -to -back townhouses. We're hopefully going to be uh, starting construction on our first mid-rise site next year. Um, but uh, uh, the other scenario is where we work with the private sector and they'll take a, a site through development and then sever off a small piece for us uh, to, again, build on. Um, uh, there's some scenarios where we work with developers and they they actually give us turnkey units, so units within a building. Um, and then we're more recently starting to work with uh, other nonprofits um, um, and partner with them on, on sites that they either already own or, or um, uh, that, uh, that we go after together. Okay, fantastic. So uh, the criteria for families that basically can enroll in Habitat for Humanity programs and, and sign up for those um, basically alternative home ownerships. So can you expand on that? Yeah. And again, it's one of those things that it's changed over time for us and it hasn't changed at the same time. So it starts with the fact that it's home ownership. So however you're accessing home ownership, it begins with you've got to have an income uh, that is that you're going to be able to use to service a mortgage. And so in our case, we look at we we um, modify the income levels for every project we're involved in because we talk about having an affordable mortgage. So by affordable mortgage, we mean, you know, 32 percent of your total household income is what should go to shelter. And we include in that the condo fees, property tax, 
uh, home insurance and then your mortgage principal and interest. So given that condo fees and, and prop tax can vary by project, we start with that to say, okay, well, how much money, how much income does that need? And then we have a certain threshold of having and wanting families to pay enough principal that they really are building equity. So that that first piece of income is what then determines, okay, what's the income of level for each project, which today and now for most of our projects, that income's gonna range from a low 70s, low mid 70s up to, it'll go up to $100,000. And in some cases, depending on family size and and uh, condo fees, it may be a bit over 100,000. So there, there's your first criteria of income. Uh, the the second one is uh, they need to be a permanent resident or a Canadian citizen. Uh, they it, 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 another key piece is that just we call it willingness to partner, but it means getting an understanding of what is this habitat model and is it going to work for the family. So I think you're familiar. It includes a the notion of volunteer hours in lieu of a down payment because most of the folks we're working with they've you know by the time they pay rent and take care of their family they haven't been able to save any down payment, let alone the size you need today. So, so we, the quid pro quo is volunteer hours, but that's not, doesn't work for everybody. Um, and, uh, the other part of our model is it's not the same as buying on the market where you get a hundred percent of the market gain here. Uh, we have a formula for appreciation so that again, people have to say, is that for me? And then the final part of it is if we have, you know, more qualified families than we have homes, of course it comes down to need you know, who, you know, and, you know, in terms of crowding, in terms of safety considerations, health considerations of the family. So, you know, at any given point in time, who needs, who needs this opportunity the most? Fantastic. Um, uh, back to Josh, um, home ownership. Uh, I think that's part of Canadian dream, right? Like, uh, I think the latest stats shows that it's still 80% of Canadians, they do like to own something versus uh, if you look at uh, 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 European countries, that number is completely, that ratio is completely reversed, like 30% to 40% ownership, right? Uh, but it seems like a lot of people, especially in middle class, students out of, you know, universities and newcomers being kind of like left out and they can't reach that goal or, or fulfill that goal of home ownership. And it's getting harder and harder for a lot of people uh, to, to, get that, to get to that point. Uh, my question to you is, um, why do you think home ownership is important uh, for Canadians? And what is it that you know, Habitat is doing to, to help that situation? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think, you know, when you think about what home ownership offers, um, I think that's re it's a really important quality. So when you, like, I rent. Um, um, in Toronto. And the irony of that is that I work for an organization that believes in giving, you know, that providing affordable home ownership opportunities. So, um, but I rent because it's expensive to live here and I have a young family. We need space. Um, the thing that I worry about as a renter is, um, uh, is my landlord going to sell the property, um, you know, or want to move in or, or increase the rent. So the stability that comes with owning your home um, and knowing that you will, um, that nobody can evict you is, is a really key component. And the ability for that individual to build equity um, over a period of time so that they can either, um, you know, support their kids in terms of education, whether it's retirement. Um, like these are important things for a lot of people uh, um, to get. And it's, it's, it's a lot difficult. It's a lot more difficult when you're renting. Um, so, and we've done comparisons looking at uh, a project with TCHC and Alex Park, where um, we kind of took the exact same income, um, the rent that they were going to charge, the affordable rent versus um, affordable home ownership that we were offering. And while they were paying a little bit more 
per month because we had to pay for uh, condo fees and property tax. At the end of the day, they ended up with all the equity. They ended up with a big portion of equity. Um, so to me, it was a, it, it really demonstrated that while we need more affordable rental in the city, and it's specifically for a number, a totally different kind of income bracket than what we're serving, um, habitat home ownership can really help also relieve the pressure on rentals so we can help move, pe- move people through the continuum. Couldn't agree more with you. Like I know then uh, we, we, we do a lot of market analysis for our developer clients. And one of the staggering numbers that we came up with, uh, if you look at a year over year, in some pockets, we're talking over 26% increase in rent. That's a scary number, right? And, and unfortunately, that's not going to get any better because and I believe that the government's not really uh, incentivizing developers to build more rental buildings. And basically, these condos that we bring to market at some point becomes you know, rental building, but the only difference is they're not owned by individual, uh, sorry, institutions. They're owned by individuals and, and they're all looking at their bottom line too. So the rents is keep going up and, and the demands is there. That's a problem, right? Um, okay. So going back to Ian, uh, Rad volunteered in one of your projects, um, I believe in Oshawa and, uh, uh, some families going to basically going to settle in that complex and that uh, in that project, give us more update on that project, and if you can tell us what's happening with that project. Yeah, well, so first of all, yay, Rad! Great yeah, to have you volunteering, you and great to have the leadership, Sean, that you and your team have brought to not just volunteering, but to raising the profile of Habitat, to raising money for Habitat. You know, these are the things that enable us to have stories to tell about uh, families that become homeowners. So that project's a fifty-unit project, as Josh said earlier. That's actually a project that we are doing in partnership with a nonprofit rental provider. So twenty-four of those units will be uh, uh, affordable rental, and twenty-six of them will be Habitat homeowners. We haven't selected all those homeowners yet, but let me give you an example of uh, two or three, you know, Habitat homeowner families. So, you know, I think of one family, uh, the mom in that family is a single mom. Her name is Alyssa. She uh, has a, uh, she works in mental health. uh, uh, So she's a mental health counselor. She has a 10-year-old son and twin daughters uh, who are eight years old, one of whom is wheelchair dependent. And, And she, you know, talks about the challenge for anyone working in the social services. Your income's not enough to be able to provide for your family. So she had a second job and still was, you know, had virtually nothing left after paying the rent to for her, her, her family and still given her daughter that's wheelchair dependent, you know, really didn't have a home that was, was, was functional for their accessibility needs. So they now have moved into a Habitat home um, and she's building equity and, you know, and maybe someday won't have to have the three jobs in order to make it work for her family. Um, you know, we have another family at a mom and dad, James and uh, Christina, they're both personal service providers in one of our hospitals. Uh, and, uh, and they also, in addition to, you know, it, it, carrying their, their, their load here, they also are sending a lot of money back home. And so they're trying to balance that with their housing costs. Uh, and they have a little girl who's dying to have her own bedroom, but at the moment shares, shares, shares the room with mom and dad, and they're going to be moving into a new uh, habitat home in a year or so. And then, you know, moving further down the road, you know, I think of uh, the Sanders family. So this is a single mom with four children. Uh, and they moved in eight years ago now to homes we built in Brampton. Uh, three of those four children are either are in university or have now graduated from university. And mom went back to university. Uh, and, and both the mom and the kids talk about just that sense of confidence and stability to actually set long-term goals 
uh, uh, that came after they moved into their home. Um, the, uh, you know, that mom also, when I first met her, she was, she was quite overweight. And the next time I met her, which was a couple of years after she moved in, I thought, is this the same person? And her kids talk with great pride of how it was after they moved into their new home that they noticed their mom had the headspace to really focus on herself and take better care of herself and her health, which as I said, included university, but it also included, uh, just her health and her weight. Um, so it's just, it's really, um, cool for us at Habitat, just seeing these stories and the kind of transformation and possibility that happens when people have a home that works for them, the pride of it being their home, and the ability, as Josh said, to build some equity while they're at it. Oh, honestly, one of the main reasons I really want to do these this podcast is stories like that. And that's how people can understand uh, that, uh, to me, Habitat is doing a great job. You know, and, and these stories are really remarkable. So I was in, uh, lucky to be invited in one of the grand openings uh, of, of a site that you had a partnership with, uh, I believe, um, Cap, um, sorry, Diamond Kilmer on Old Western Road. And yeah. I was lucky to meet two of these families. They're going to yeah. be um, basically settling uh, in, in this project and, and those homes. And uh, that basically takes me to my next question for Josh. Uh, tell me more about the partnership that you guys have with... Um, private sector and developers and uh, because that's something that I'm pretty sure that a lot of people don't know about and maybe that's that's great for developers to understand uh, how they can be involved and how can, they can be basically uh, helping the communities by by partnering with Habitat for Humanity. Yeah well and there's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways that that we can continue to be uh, partnering with um, uh, the real estate sector um, that I would like to see grow in, including things like you know if you have a sh if you have a showroom or a sales center that you giving some of that furniture and that, 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 uh, equipment back to our restore so we can sell it there as well as, um, uh, we're always looking for commercial, commercial space for our, 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 our restores and, um, and also office space, uh, would be nice. But what we're doing today is, um, I guess when I started at Habitat, uh, in how many, how many partners do we have? Do you remember? I think then we had two or three. Yeah. So over the last four years, we're now at 25 um, different relationships with uh, 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 real estate uh, developers. Um, and, you know, I think in the context of developing in the city of Toronto, it's, it's really challenging, not just for organizations like Habitat, but um, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome for, for developers. And regardless of whether it's Bill 108 or Bill 109 or Bill 23 um, or IZ, the environment is going to continue to change and there's going to be uncertainty. And what Habitat has figured out how to do really well is um, um, provide more certainty in that, in that discussion with city and government um, and the local community to make sure we have inclusive communities. So, you know, whether it's um, helping negotiate um, an OLT um, uh, settlement um, with the city and, and a developer to get more density for the site, which density is good. We have a finite amount of land um, and in exchange, we get a bunch of affordable housing units um, either for free or for a low cost. So, um, you know, growing those numbers is just one aspect of, of how we'll continue to serve people within the within the city of Toronto and, and beyond. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I really hope that developers listening to this podcast, they take away something and hopefully they start calling you and 
to extend their uh, help as well. And I think I'd just jump in there and say, uh, you know, a key thing here is just Josh is one of the most creative people I've ever met. And pretty much everyone who meets with him says that as well. And so what he does really well is kind of listening to the developer and saying, what do you need? You know, listen to municipality, what do they what do you need? And just trying to figure out how do we connect these dots in a way that works for everyone. Um, and so, like, yeah, we have twenty five partners and and mm, thirty five or so partnerships, right yeah, across those partners. And, and no two of them are exactly alike, right? Yeah. There is a degree of customizing them. and uh, and so there's a, there's 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 a lot of opportunity here collectively for us to do more. And, and I think while we, our focus as Habitat is exclusively affordable home ownership, we recognize that as part of a conversation, there would be scenarios where rental or other types of affordable housing would come up. And we wanted to make sure that we had effectively a platform for developers and the city to um, uh, have a solution the same way we can provide for affordable home ownership. So in partnership with two other nonprofits that provide rental and co-op housing, we set up a nonprofit, a federally incorporated nonprofit so that we can actually, it's kind of like a one-stop shop. So if you're the city or a developer and you need to satisfy affordable housing or you want to provide affordable housing within a development, um, we can either address the rental and homeownership or co-op housing um, all in the same kind of breath, which is, which is great. And we've seen a lot of developers actually saying like, oh man, I wish we knew this sooner because um, you've just saved us a ton of time trying to figure it out on our own. And I think what's helpful there is like most nonprofit rental providers are really good at something we know nothing about at Habitat, which is being landlords and and, and managing uh, affordable rental housing. On the other hand, they they they're not developers, so they don't have a developer mindset. And so and so for developers, it it may be okay. We want to do or we need to do some affordable rental. We don't even know who our potential partners are, and that's where Josh is kind of a, a good middleman of okay. Well, how can we help here at at figuring out what do you need? What what's a logical partner? Etc. Fantastic. I uh, yeah. I, we we can have this conversation for hours. You know, in terms of how developers can get involved with with uh, organizations like Habitat for Humanity. Uh, my next question for Ian: um, You've been selected as a member of Ontario Housing Affordability Task Force recently, um, and you've been speaking about a number of public platforms um, uh, and uh, talking about Bill Twenty Three. So if you don't mind, can you expand on that and, and see, tell us what exactly that conversation was about and, and uh, yeah, tell us more. Oh, great. Well, um, you know, early again, when you opened, you said affordability is now something in everyone's mind. And, you know, it used to just be a conversation that was on the margins, right, for the lowest income households. And now it's so relevant to everyone. And so, you know, for me, I, I was honored to be asked to be part of this Housing Affordability Task Force. And your listeners know lots about the task force. Um, and then fast forward to now we have Bill 23, which certainly has some elements that look a lot like task force recommendations. Um, I'm, uh, I know there's a lot of noise and a lot of, opin of opinions out there on Bill 23. I'm super encouraged by Bill 23. I think it, it reflects a kind of bold, purposeful uh, uh, action that we need. I like that the, develop, the, the, the government is taking this, okay, here's one wave of legislation, we'll wait six months and come out with another one uh, to kind of build on the one before. Um, I like, and I'm sure all your listeners feel the same way, that we, we were due to rebalance where housing considerations fit versus 
heritage, environment, neighborhood character, et cetera. And I think that that bill is really doing that. Um, and, you know, I think I'd say, and again, I have I've was privileged to also have an opportunity to sit down in, in across from, Josh was with me, we both had a chance to sit down across from the premier and talk about this legislation. And, you know, what I also find just really encouraging is he genuinely conveys a conviction around reclaiming in Ontario where people can aspire to own a home, that it's not just something for the privileged class, that it's what it was when I grew up, where it was just kind of a given. If you work hard, you save, you know, a bit, you have a bit of patience, you'll be alone at home. And so he seems really, really motivated around that notion of attainable and affordable ownership. Uh, and, and so I think for all of us, it is a buckle up. We're going to hear more of more waves of what can the government can do in that regard. That's amazing. So that's going to lead me to my next question, which is uh, basically talking about all the fees the government's basically putting on developers, which I see firsthand deal with developers and clients that we have. And uh, we're talking about affordable housing, uh, um, um, a portion of development charges and also inclusion in zoning, uh, which I believe is going to uh, hurt consumers in a way. But I really wanted to hear your point of view on that. If you can expand on what you think is it really helping consumers and 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 future you know homeowners, or or is it just something that's gonna go backward in terms of helping the situation? Yeah, and you know, like the question of fees and who pays, it's a sensitive <clears throat> one and it's a polarizing one. Uh, but I think if people slow down a bit and think about it, it's also a pretty simple one, which is the more money, the more fees we weigh in on the cost of new homes, the more expensive homes will be, not just new homes, but it ripples into my home as a resale home. And the harder it is for, you know, an entire generation of newcomers to Canada and young kind of uh, young people, you know, just starting their families, the harder it is for them to be able to have the home they need and be able to get ahead like the previous generation could. So, um, so therefore the, the, uh, you know, I'm very much on the developer side on this one, which some of my colleagues in affordable housing may not feel comfortable with, but I'm, but I'm on the, well, I'd like to think I'm on the, the side of the population really, because the, you know, this notion of, uh, you know, development charges folks know do include a component around affordable housing. Well, you know, what's it doing in there? All of us should be supporting affordable housing. So let people buy their home and then join the rest of us in paying for affordable housing with property taxes, which does mean property taxes have to go up. Uh, and uh, so, and so very supportive for that. The specific question around inclusionary zoning, I think most of us can agree uh, with the research that says inclusive communities, you know, are more vibrant communities. They're, they're healthier and candidly, they have the people in them that we need to need for a community to work. They'll have people that work in the hospitality sector that work at the TSO that are there to kind of sell you a beer at the at the Raptors game. Like we need these folks everywhere to have great communities. And so inclusionary zoning is a good concept. <laughs> the issue is execution. And so, you know, we spoke out um, uh, with a caution uh, when the city of Toronto was advancing its, its inclusionary zoning policy. We did not agree with the notion of uh, pushing inclusionary zoning without offsets in it. Uh, and I also wrote a blog on the fact that you have to be careful. Uh, the, I called it the frustrating necessity of moving slowly with inclusionary zoning. So back to Bill 23, what Bill 23 has done is it said, yeah, we're going to move slow. 
we're going to start at 5% and we are going to have offsets in the form of the exemptions of DCs, parkland dedication, et cetera. That's something I hope that everyone can get on side for. Um, I don't necessarily believe inclusionary zoning is the panacea, um, but, but it's a useful tool to, um, to uh, work with uh, uh, done without this notion of, you know, just burdening the developers of you guys carry everything. We don't ask the grocers to help everybody else out that can't afford food. And so th that shouldn't be true in the case of a societal need for everyone having a home. Just to expand on that, um, I, in one of our episodes, we had uh, Nama Blunder from a Smart Density, and I highly recommend people go and listen to that podcast. And we talked about the same thing, inclusion zoning, and, and what's really going to do uh, uh, for developers and, and consumers. One of the problems that I see developers have is that they look at the building and they look at, the, okay, this, is, this building is going to be giving me this much margins and profit and everything. And now that I'm going to be dedicating or allocating 5 to 10% of my project uh, to this program, meaning that the rest of the building, the rest of 90% of the building is going to be unaffordable, it becomes more unaffordable for the future buyers of these projects. And that's basically not really going to solve the problem in, in general, right? So I think that was a, that was a very interesting conversation. Uh, people can go to, uh, and go listen to that uh, podcast. Now back to Josh, uh, there's a lot of support coming from government um, and from municipal to uh, provincial, federal uh, governments. And, uh, but does that really help you uh, in terms of like, filling the gap and how much you need to raise in terms of donation money for Habitat um, and to be able to tackle the unaffordable issue and, and help people with uh, home ownership? So the simple answer is no. <laughs> um, uh, and I'll expand on that. I mean, I think that like everything helps. Um, so, you know, having DCs and, and cash in lieu of Parkland, we should have had that four years ago. So is it helping? No. Now we're just catching up um, in terms of some of these things uh, that we're seeing from government. And I think Unfortunately, because we're having to play catch up, we're going to see things get more unaffordable, um, more expensive in terms of construction costs. Um, so I think it's going to get worse before it's going to get better. We're going to need to see continued efforts from government uh, in terms of policy. Um, but what we also need to see is people, um, you know, whether that be corporate or individuals or organizations that are within the sector, uh, give, give, uh, you know, um, to organizations like Habitat so that we can um, help people uh, find affordable housing. And um, I think ultimately what I'd like to see a, a more of, and I, we're starting to see this conversation amongst developers, is, you know, they love to donate to hospitals and other organizations and, you know, uh, the zoo. And those are really important um, uh, causes to give to. But they're directly in this industry. And, you know, what somebody said to me the other day, it keeps coming back to affordable housing. Like the work that they're doing in building, it's so close to home for them. Um, and so I'm hoping that we see more and more developers step up and partner with organizations like Habitat, not just to give us units, which I love, you know, I'm, I'll give my phone number at the end of this thing and you can put it up on the screen so people call me. But um, it's also to give to us, um, we, need, we need cash. We need, we need to pay for materials and, and to buy land and, and, and things of that nature. That actually, interesting that you talked about all that. That's going to basically lead us to the next question. And our last question, 
that uh, you partially answered. So I'm going to go to Ian on that. Uh, and that's the uh, development community and um, basically real estate industry um, uh, in general. And what is it that they can do when it comes to, that can be like um, suppliers, realtors, brokers, developers, city planners, city officials. Uh, what is it that you think they can do? And I'm really hoping that we can have you back maybe in a year, in two years and look back and say, okay, this is what we've done. And, and, and I really hope that this conversation that we're having today is going to help that uh, as well. So maybe just go back to Ian. Yeah, I mean, it's such a critical question and it's exactly the right place to end this conversation is I think most people will lis listening will agree um, the, the depth of the housing crisis in this country has never been greater and it does imperil, as I said earlier, an entire generation. Of, of young people and of newcomers to the country. This is not as fair of a country as it used to be. And that doesn't feel good for any of us. And everyone in the real estate, and none of us created this problem. Nobody woke up in the morning and said, gee, I wanna make housing unaffordable. I wanna make people's lives miserable. Nobody did that, but we just, but we have to say we all own it. And so, so people in the real estate sector, I think are uniquely positioned to uh, be contributing to the solutions. And Josh has rhymed off like a number of ways the development sector can do that. And I would just, you know, just pile on on that shout out. Um, and it is both, uh, you know, in in terms of the like the, the actual partner with us on units, if you're in the business of building units, if you're in the business of financing, you know, talk to us there as well. And I think, and Josh picked up on the other one. This is also about, you know, you within your organizations and you as an individual. Like if you're listening to this podcast and you're looking around your home and it's pretty comfortable and you know what, you know, the kind of wealth that you've been able to accumulate through real estate and other things, um, you have an opportunity to use that kind of privilege and advantage to to give a hand up to folks that don't have it to create a more fair country and that's both an individual decision in terms of phil philanthropy and it's a corporate decision and again i get it's difficult like because you know if you're sitting there as a developer you're thinking it's not about me it's about what my investors need as a rate of return right but but there's also a, okay but let's have different conversations with our investors about you know, again, real estate sector is is literally laying down the the infrastructure and the the buildings that are the lived experience of future generations. So all of us in the real estate sector are uniquely positioned to change the picture of what our children and our grandchildren are experiencing living in our communities. Uh, so I think there is an opportunity for all of us all of us that have a decent home today and that are involved in some way in the real estate sector to step up and say, hey, we, we can do more. We can do more and we have to do more. So we have a, a future that, that uh, turning over in our grave, uh, we're, we're feeling proud to have been part of creating. And I think so just to add quickly, um, people may be surprised, we both donate to Habitat. So we work for Habitat, but we believe in the fact that we're working in this industry. We're working for, I, I donate to other, um, uh, nonprofits that that provide housing to homeless individuals. Um, so I think it's the same kind of you know philosophy that we should hopefully see from others as well. Absolutely. So um, and on that note, uh, you both know that we're um, hundred percent there for Habitat for Humanity GTA, and we're going to continue our involvement. And uh, as a matter of fact, this year we are we have started our campaign, and we're hoping to raise even more money this year for you and to be able to help these families. Like I said uh, previously, like uh, I was privileged to meet two of these families and I can't tell you how touching that moment was for me. And uh, uh, I know a lot of um, 
our uh, friends and peers in the business. To, they're helping hospitals, you know, and other, you know, uh, basically um, organizations, which is great. Uh, we we need we all need that, but unaffordability is a big issue, and I think collectively our whole industry need to step up the, their games and to be able to help. Um, just to wrap, I just want to thank you both. I know you're both busy individuals, uh, both to Ian and Josh. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you here. And I'm really hoping that next time we sit down, we look back and say, you know what? This very podcast helped us to bring more awareness and raise more money for Habitat for Humanity. Thank you again. Fantastic. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks.